Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back, everyone, to the 46th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Arjun, how are you doing today? Doing well. Um, really excited for this weekend's playoffs. Um, maybe the best slate of matchups we've had all season. Obviously, now that we're in the playoffs, the, the good teams are separated from the below average teams, and I'm excited to chop it up and kind of preview some of the games we have on the slate this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that like we did get the the good teams in the divisional round. Sometimes like a team could sneak in because of a variance, but when you look at like these these teams and kind of their their splits, right? Like they they all rank top ten in offensive EPA per play, which is good, and then they all rank top twelve in EPA per drop back, with the Giants being twelfth there. And so like the Giants are probably the only team that like is borderline deserving of making it to the vision round, but all these other teams are, are deserving of it, which is really cool. So we'll start by, by previewing these, these four exciting games this weekend, the two on Saturday and the two on Sunday. And then if we have some time at the end and we don't go on too long, we'll talk about some of the, the firings and hirings that are happening in, in the league right now. So let's start with Jaguars chiefs uh, to open up the Saturday slate where the chiefs are sitting at eight and a half point favorites. What are your, some of your initial thoughts on, on this game? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for this game just in general, getting to see Mahomes and Lawrence go head to head uh, in their first matchup. It wasn't that much of a game. Uh, Chiefs won pretty handedly 27-17, but this week we're getting a, a total of 53 on this game. So Vegas, the market is basically expecting a lot of points to be uh, scored. And just given the way that both teams have kind of entered this week i am expecting a lot of points we've seen trevor lawrence and doug peterson really uh coexist pretty well together the, the last like two months of the season um we've seen some really good lawrence games we haven't seen some great lawrence games but i don't think the chiefs defense poses much of a matchup towards lawrence and in their first matchup both mahomes and trevor lawrence had pretty good games um both with pff grades uh, above 82 uh and mahomes throwing for four touchdowns so I don't necessarily see uh, this being a big defensive game. I think we're going to see a lot of points. And given the way that I, I saw the Jags offense kind of operate against the Chargers defense in the second half, I do think we'll see a lot more of that, those like type of pass concepts, a lot more deep crossers trying to, you know, take the top off the defense because the Chiefs defense is a little bit leaky in the secondary because of how young they are with guys like uh, Trent McDuffie and LeJarrius Sneed playing at cornerback. Mm-hmm. 
going back to their week 10 matchup, the Jaguars took six deep shots, like uh, pl- shots that were over 20 air yards, and they only connected on two of those. And so the, the Chiefs played a lot of too high in their game in, in week 10, but the Jaguars only did well against cover one, uh, like the 10 times that it was played. And then against the two high structures, they didn't do well at all. And they, they missed on the majority of their deep shots there. So that's what I think is like the path for the Jaguars offense in this game is deep shots over the middle of the field. And the chiefs are the third worst defense at defending middle of the field, yeah. uh, according to, to EPA per play. And they also don't do well with when you're looking at pass depth and like that middle third, kind of the intermediate type passes. So that's why I think this is going to be a huge Evan Ingram Ingram game, given like what he's been able to do over the middle of the field this season. And he's had a 0.45 EPA per target on 29 targets over the middle of the field. Christian Kirk has gotten 40 targets with only a 0.08 EPA per target on those plays. So like they're still both positive, but Evan Ingram, like fixing his drop rate and with how athletic he is, could really take advantage of a Chiefs defense as leaky back there, like you mentioned. Yeah, I think Ingram will be the shot play guy, kind of the seam routes guy. But Kirk is going to be the kind of move the chains guy. Um, The Chiefs have allowed the most receptions to slot receivers or receivers who lined up in the slot of any team in the league this year, 144 receptions. Um, One of my favorite bets that I gave up on the forecast was Christian Kirk over five and a half receptions just because I do think Jags will be playing with a negative game script leading to a lot more passes and the, I think the way you want to target the Chiefs is, you know, forcing your linebackers and safeties to cover Nick Bolton and Willie Gay and uh, uh, the the white linebacker they drafted in the draft. Um, I, I always forget his name, but those are the guys. They're great run defenders, but those are the guys you want to target. And like you brought up, their EPA over the middle of the field is, you know, bottom three in the league, whether it is the intermediate or deep part of the field. On the other side of the ball, I do want to kind of highlight one of the big things that I think the Chiefs can take advantage of, and that's the Jags screen defense. So defense against screens, especially uh, running back screens. So the Chiefs offense is top three in success rate running screens of any type. The Jaguars defense is bottom three in success rate against any type of screens. And, you know, watching back the Chargers game, the Chargers did use a lot of pre-snap motion and ran a couple of screens. And there was one screen, I believe it was on second and 10, where Herbert just overthrew Eckler. And that could have gone, honestly, for a touchdown had they connected. So I do think the Jaguars defense, because of how aggressive Trevon Walker and Josh Allen are at rushing the passer, are liable to a lot of screens. Um, Foye, Luicon, and Lloyd are you know, great linebackers in their own right. I think they defend the run very well. And they're, they are both very athletic, but I think the Chiefs align with how they're constructed. A lot of athleticism there. And because Jarek McKinnon has been such a steady presence at running back, I do think we could see a heavy screen game or not a relatively heavy screen game for the Chiefs in this game, just because I think that is the one weakness on the Jags defense or a big weakness for them. And we could see uh, Jarek McKinnon, you know, take off or even a lot of tight end screens to Travis Kelsey to get in the ball in space. Yeah, I I think the reason why the Jaguars haven't been good at screens this year is because their corners are a little small relative to what you expect yeah. from starting NFL corners, is especially Darius Williams, who's 5'9", I believe. So like that's that's where they can take advantage of them. If you can get it blocked well where you have Travis Kelsey on someone like Darius Williams or, or even Tyson Campbell, who isn't like as good of a tackler but is a little bit bigger, I think that could be really taken advantage of there. And Travis Kelsey, this is also going to be a big game for him. 
Uh, you know, it's I think it's just going to be a big tight end game overall because yeah. the Jaguars are the second worst defense at defending the middle of the field this season. Uh, you're one spot lower than the Chiefs defense is. And Travis Kelsey has had 42 targets for 0.21 EPA per target this season across the middle of the field. And then you also have Juju Smith-Schuster, who's at 23 targets for a 0.21 EPA per target as well over the middle of the field. So that's where I, I can kind of see like them using the, the shorter edges there and then also the middle of the field to attack the the Jaguars linebackers that you mentioned. And the Jaguars tried to play a lot of middle of the field open coverages in their first matchup against the Chiefs. And so they played primarily quarters and cover mm-hmm. two. And Mahomes had a, had a very low average up the target in this game uh, with a 7.4 average air yards per pass attempt. And then he had five passes over 15 air yards, completing all of them. So we really saw in this game, it was Mahomes was taking exactly what was given to him multiple times. And then he took the deep shots when necessary. And the Jaguars were so scared of rushing extra defenders that they only blitzed twice and they got burned on on one of them. It was it was a deep pass to uh, Juju Smith Schuster down the right sideline, and so that's that's the Jaguars are probably going to have to switch into some type of man coverage in this game and try to like muddy it for mm-hmm. the receivers and 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 make them beat you. But I think Travis Kelsey is going to be such a matchup nightmare. It might not matter as much as it should, even though they're they're going to really try to try to muddy the the picture for Mahomes in this game. Yeah, I I agree and. Um, you know, just kind of referencing what you brought up in terms of ADOT, like Kelsey's ADOT in the Jags game in week 14, seven, Kadarius Tony, 6.8. And then you have the burners, Marquez Valdez Scandling, 18.8, and then Jarek McKinnon, 2.9. So I, the, the cool thing about the Chiefs offense is like all of them have defined roles and all of them play a part in why this offense is so good. And I think, you know, they're not going to have McCole Hardman, so they are going to rely on MVS to kind of be the guy that takes the top off the defense. And one of the things I was looking at last night that I was interested in is like how do offenses react when um, defenses bracket their best player? So you think about the Vikings, their offense gets three times worse. It's it's like 0.08 to 0.02 um or 0.03 when defenses bracket justin jefferson the uh the bengals offense gets a little bit worse the bills offense gets worse the chiefs offense chiefs offense gets better when teams bracket kelsey and that's just because i think mahomes does a great job of finding the open receiver better than almost any qb in the league and his improvisation obviously allows receivers to get open better more often than not and you know, I, I earlier in the season, I was kind of saying I do think cover one or just man in general is the way to beat Mahomes. But now that we, we have playoff Mahomes, we've talked about this, I think, for like two years now. He's going to use his legs. I don't think you can play man. You need to have eyes on him because Andy Reid is taking the training wheels off. Well, he's had the training wheels off, but he's going to like take the the final like whatever you want to call it, like blockade or something off to where Mahomes can do whatever he wants, like scramble, take hits, because now, you know, he they are playing for the Super Bowl. So um, I, I do think it's going to be a tough time uh, for the Jags defense to slow down this Chiefs offense. And I think the only way they really get there is if they're able to consistently force pressure from the edges, which is possible given that Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley have allowed the most pressures or some, one of the most pressures of any tackle duo in the NFL this year. Mm-hmm. And 
when you're when Andy Reid coming off a bye is like the most over talked about thing in in uh, in NFL betting circles and and like when when like national media do, tries to do betting, but like what is not talked about as much is Andy Reid's scheme uniqueness throughout the season, right? So what we've usually seen and and we've we've looked at this before, and and our yeah. friend Eric Eager has has looked at this as well is. Andy Reid's scheme is really unique the first two, three weeks of the season as he's still trying to get a feel for everything, his, his players and kind of like the the offense that he wants to design this year. And then it, it becomes not that unique throughout the rest of the season as the Chiefs kind of coast with Mahomes and secure one of the top seeds. And then he cranks it back up for the playoffs. And so, you know, it wasn't just the ring around around a rosy play that they were doing against the, the Raiders. Like Andy Reid's going to be very unique in this game. And he had a whole off season to prepare for all the bracket coverages that he expected Travis Kelsey mm-hmm. to get, because that became the obvious answer in the chiefs offense. Once they traded away Tyree kill, when they had Tyree kill, it was complicated to know exactly who defenses were going to dedicate resources to stopping. If they were going to play too high to stop Hill, or if they were going to play some type of bracket coverage to stop Kelsey. And like, yeah. we feel like he had all the answers to the test. And now with just Kelsey and a collection of good receivers, but not an elite one, he feels like he knows how defenses are going to target his offense throughout yeah. uh, the season. And that's what's really helped the, the Chiefs have the best offense of the season, despite not having that good of a, a running game is their passing game is just that good at having answers to basically everything that's been thrown at them. And I think when he cranks that dial this week and kind of takes advantage of the Jaguars coming off like a, a, a hard fought win and the chiefs getting rested and, and being able to get to the situation is going to, going to be like kind of something that maybe can like lead to like a, a right tail outcome of a blowout. But like we talked about Jaguars offense is good enough to score on this chief's defense, considering that the chief's defense is average to below average. So maybe they can keep pace there, but it's going to be very, very hard to stop the chief's offense <laughs> in this game. Unless we get like an Andrew Reed performance where he's kicking field goals on, on fourth and one fourth and two, because he's getting nervous. That's the playoffs or something. Yeah. It, you know, Peterson versus Reed is predecessor versus like his old boss. Um, Peterson, I think, does have some of the a slightly smaller uh, positive edge in the game management department, but the Jags just can't afford to go down 10-0, 14-0 like they normally do every game. Like this is a game they have to be playing for, with a neutral game script or at least out in front because you don't want to allow the Chiefs to be off uh, like super balanced and do whatever they want, but. Um, I think we should move on to Giants Eagles. Uh, this one is in Philadelphia Eagles, uh, now seven and a half point favorites. Um, did you have any like big takeaways from the week 14 matchup? The end, the final score is 48 22. So wasn't that competitive? And the last time these two teams played, uh, the entire Giants starting offense kind of rested. So it doesn't really seem like we have a lot of insights we can provide from like prior matchups, would you say? I agree. I, I don't think that the Giants were fully healthy even for that week 14 matchup either they they had a lot of injuries and it was it was one of those weirder games where there was some like special teams and and fluky turnovers that happened in in the first half but like the Eagles offense was able to do like whatever they wanted uh Jalen Hurts had a 0.37 EPA per play Miles Sanders had the best game of his season and then AJ Brown and Devontae Smith had seven total EPA uh each so you know, there there was some noise in the Eagles offense just being really, really good and the Giants defense being below average. But I think that the Giants are a different team even now than they were like a month and a half ago. 
Yeah, and I mean, certainly the there is a little bit of uncertainty with the Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts. You know, he, he did come back for week 18, didn't really do much, didn't throw a touchdown. Um, it was against this Giants defense, but they were also resting starters. So Giants defense has looked a little bit better since then. But the, the big thing with the Giants defense is their linebackers are just awful. Jalen Smith uh, is, you know... What, pretty much got taken advantage of by TJ Hawkinson. And I think this is a this is going to be a game where we're going to, we're going to see Dallas Goddard maybe have the game of his life. Um, obviously it does depend on what the Eagles want to do in, uh, you know, with their offense. So weirdly enough, you know, we talked, we've talked about Dexter Lawrence being a huge factor for the Giants defense and looking at the Giants, like defensive line, you have him, Leonard Williams, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Ojolari, like this is like O'Shane Zimenez or Jimenez. Like this is a very good Giants D line, but they for some reason suck at stopping the run. Like they're bottom ten, I believe, in rush GPA, bottom ten in rushing success rate. So, like knowing, you know, the Eagles are obviously a very smart organization, but like, do you think they lean more on the run like they have in previous games, knowing that the Giants' weakness is the run, or do you do you think we we're gonna come out and see a pass heavy Eagles attack that we've seen in uh, you know games prior this year? Mm-hmm. This is a great point to bring up. And I do think that they lean more on the run in this game because they know that they can kind of, they don't want to increase variance. And like that, the Eagles understand that better than anyone, where if you come out with a very pass heavy approach, mm-hmm. Over time, it does lead to better results for most, if not all, teams. But in a in a one game specific sample on pass plays, sacks can happen, interceptions can happen, and those are big EPA swings. Where the only bad thing that can really happen on a run play is a fumble, and that's a that's their big EPA swing. But two three yard losses aren't going to like change the game completely when you have a better position group at basically every single position group except maybe defensive line, but. So the Giants defense are top 10 in scramble yards allowed. So they could slow down Hurts on the scrambling thing, but it it, it comes down to Hurts' health at the end of the day and how mm-hmm. well he's feeling with his shoulder because they can use design runs to take advantage uh you know on along the sides, like away from Dexter Lawrence, like you mentioned. But if Hertz is not comfortable with being hit, they might have to lean more on a Miles Sanders and Kenneth Gainwell run game and screen passes to AJ Brown and Devontae Smith instead. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I do think we could see more Miles Sanders, especially given that he had a really good performance in that week 14 matchup. Um, but like I said, like the the place you want to attack the Giants is their linebacking room. And if you can get Jalen Smith or their other linebackers like matched up one on one with Goddard um, in the slaughter in line, I think that's the matchup you want to go to. But again, like the just overall, the Giants' weakness is their run defense. The, the stats kind of show it. And while I don't think Dalvin Cook had that great of a game um, on Sunday, like he hasn't had that great of a game for most of the season. I don't care what his agent says. Um, <laughs> part of that is just because the Vikings' offensive line is really, really bad, especially the interior. Now, one popcorn-worthy matchup, Dexter Lawrence, first-team All-Pro, Jason Kelsey, first-team All-Pro. Um, this was something that I believe Next Gen Stats put up. I need to pull it up, but I think – no so i know this is a fact no player has more pressures rushing from the zero tech position mm-hmm. which basically just means lining up right over the center than dexter lawrence this year yeah which, i have like, that I, it's so he's at 29 pressures lining up as the as the zero tech like right over the center this yeah. year and then uh christian wilkins and raekwon davis are uh eight and seven at, <laughs> on the dolphins and so like 
That's crazy. And, and Clayus Campbell is up there with six as well, but that's crazy to have 29 pressures from zero tech, given how hard that is to rush from, from that perspective, because you usually have to go through the center and then some help from either the right or left guard when you're right over the center like that. So mm-hmm. for him to be able to do that this season, and we saw the eight pressures uh, against Minnesota last week that led uh, the entire league in, in the wildcard round, like, he has he has been a tremendous nose tackle this season and at 345 pounds to be playing 50 plus snaps a game and to be able to affect the game in the fourth quarter like he's been able to is like one of the most impressive feats of of the season. Yeah, 100% agree and that's why I think like I think he's the X factor in this game like just in general and I say this for a couple of reasons number one we just talked about how the Eagles like could lean more on the run, right? And the Giants are a little bit leaky against the run. But the thing with the Eagles is like, if, the, if you know, you're the Eagles, I think you want to be converting first downs on first and second down. Like, it's so weird, but the Giants actually have the, the best pass or the best defense on third down this year. Part of that is because when they're able to get teams in third and long or just third downs in general, we see the wink Martindale blitz packages, right? That you have to be ready for, or just at least the the show blitz where they, you know, some of the linebackers drop out, drop out into coverage on um, playing those hook zones. So that's why I'm like a little bit against leaning on the run, uh, just because like if Dexter Lawrence has one of those takeover games, forcing second and 12s or third and eights where you're a known pass and you let Wink kind of go deep into his uh, designer blitz packages. I do think you could have a little bit of a struggle to pass against this defense, just given how good they are on third down. Um, You know, Adore Jackson wasn't there for that week 14 game and, you know, throwing to guys like Nick McLeod and Fabian Moreau and Darnay Holmes over Adore Jackson, like that's a completely different thing. And I think if you see him matched up against AJ Brown, it could also be a big Devontae Smith game. Like they're going to need him to be able to win his one-on-ones just because Quez Watkins, we've talked, we talked about it in a couple episodes ago. Like he's the biggest weakness of this team. They don't have a reliable third guy. But I don't think there's anyone on the Giants team that can cover both AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. Like, I think one of them should have the positive advantage. And um, even then, like, I still think AJ Brown's a better receiver than uh, Adore Jackson in his corner. So I think staying out of third and longs, not letting uh, Wink go into his blitz packages where the Giants have been so successful on third downs, that's going to be a huge thing. But as long as they get into fourth and one, fourth and two, it's an automatic sneak and they're going to get the first down anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And that's, that's what it comes down to for me is wing Martindale did blitz less than that playoff game against the Vikings, because mm-hmm. I don't think he fully trusted his secondary to stop Justin Jefferson and, and TJ Hawkinson. And he was right for the most part about not being able to stop TJ Hawkinson. So that's what it comes down to for, for me is like, I do think Dexter Lawrence and the Giants defensive line could wreak some havoc on the Eagles. And there, there is a path there for them to do so. But at the end of the day, your secondary, even with a Dory Jackson and and how well he played last week is not going to be able to stop AJ Brown, Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, especially over the middle of the field. And, and that's where I think like they, they have the edge and Hertz has been a really, really good passer over the middle of the field this season. And he also has the, the deep ball passing developed mm-hmm. that can, can take advantage of the giants defense there. So, you know, if, if their coaching staff were to, were to, were to do it, you know, I, I think, I think they, they could lean into that, that blitz package, but I'm curious to see what, what Wink Martindale does because he has been acting a little bit different in, in later weeks throughout the season here. Speaking of coaching staff, you know, when we go to the other <laughs> side of the ball here, like, let's just like, let's have a quick Daniel Jones conversation before <laughs> we get into like the, the actual matchup. So 
I, I think Daniel Jones has played fine this year and, and he ranks 11th in EPA per play and he hasn't had great receivers, but at the end of the day, he's asked to have six or seven less plays a game where he's involved in than high-end quarterbacks or, or just most quarterbacks in general, like Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen have seven to eight more plays a game that they're involved in than, um, than Daniel Jones is. And like that's the coaching staff telling us that they think Daniel Jones can do a lot of things and especially his design rushing ability. But at, at the end of the day, he's, he never will play at an elite level, a top mm-hmm. eight in the, in the league effectiveness level. And like, that's again, what they're going to have to do in this game where it's going to have to be a big Saquon Barkley game in the first quarter, first half. And then they can get into more of the Daniel Jones stuff in the second half. And like, that's like the giant's path to, to success in this game, because like, they can't just come out guns blazing with, with like their passing given Jones's passing ability and and their receivers. Yeah. And I mean, the Eagles in general are one of the best pass defenses in the league. They actually, uh, this year in the regular season, they're ranked first in drop back EPA allowed. So it's not like you're going to be able to pass over them. Like I know as the underdog, you kind of want to increase variance. So that does mean more passing, but I think you probably do want to rely on the run game a little bit more. And that, that does come with Saquon, uh, you know, as a runner and just the whole Daniel Jones point, like I know he, he ranks like top 10 in unadjusted or adjusted EPA per play, but like, just when you think about how he gets there, it's like, it's the coaching staff. It's not mm-hmm. like, like he's making the throws. He's accurate. He's throwing the ball where he needs to go. He's been great as a runner this year. He's been great as a runner his whole career, mind you. But it it's mostly the coaching staff. Like we have to understand that he has seven big time throws this year on plays where they they need him to make a play on plays where the defense is expecting a pass. So where uh, Ben Baldwin's expected pass model is 70, 75 or 70, 70, 70, yeah. 70 that you do. OK, 70 percent or above. He he's like a below average quarterback in those situations. Mm-hmm. So there is like. I think EPA is a great stat. We've had the EPA discussion. It's a good stat to use to measure efficiency. But if you want to use like how they got to that EPA, I think that's one where first watch the games. Second, look at like other stat, like contextualizing stats, like big time throw rate, turnover worthy play rate, uh, pressure to sack ratio, like things that um, things that contribute to EPA. And I think a lot of those things will tell you that it's not really Daniel Jones that's putting in the heavy work. I think it's more Brian Dable, but I'm not trying to like degrade Daniel Jones. I just like, again, a lot of people, especially Giants fans are talking themselves into him when I think they're, they're kind of being, you know, led to mediocrity. If, if they resign into a multi-year deal. That's the problem with these types of decisions is like Daniel Jones has played well in the structure that he's been given to. And like with the receiving talent that he's had this year, getting paid what he's getting paid. But, you know, right when you kind of dedicate more resources to him and and it becomes a lot tougher to build up the rest of the roster is where it becomes tough. But to kind of go away from that and and, and just talk about the, the game specifically. So the Eagles have given up the fourth most scramble yards in the league this season and second most EPA to QB scrambles. Uh, Daniel Jones is the third most scramble yards in the league. So he's averaging about 30 yards of scrambling just alone a game. So Giants could lean into that. And like, I think the one area of the Eagles defense that I don't 
feel super, super confident about. I love their defensive line. I love their secondary, but their linebackers sometimes leave a little bit to be desired. So if you can kind of pick on the linebackers, whether it's the the kind of types of runs where you get linebackers flowing in, in the wrong direction and, and you're using misdirection to take advantage of that, or kind of what you're doing from a passing game perspective, that could help. But I think their 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 safeties and their corners are so good that it could um it could like balance that out and, and probably counteract it anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And just in general, like the Eagles defense, like they're it's I don't think they're like susceptible to QB runs. Like, so Nate Tice posted this the other day. The Eagles have given up the second most EPA to QB scramble. So this is like total EPA um, on QB scrambles. But when you break that down, they they they've only allowed a um, thirty point three success rate on Q versus QB scramble. So when you and that ranks twenty eighth, which I think it I think Nate meant. Um, 28th like best or or worst or whatever so i think the eagles are actually really good against qb scrambles on a play-for-play basis but it's been like skewed by large runs on on qb scrambles that has contributed to a high total epa and it can also just be like teams like 33 scrambles is probably like the top 10 and most scrambles allowed so that contributes to the total epa so Mm -hmm. i i'm not like too worried from that perspective of like the eagles defense stopping jones the eagles also just generally play a high uh, a high percentage of zone, right? Like that's the John Gannon's Jonathan mm-hmm. Gannon's game. And just in general, like the Eagles defense ranks uh, 17th or 29th in success rate against uh, QB designed runs. Again, I, I think Nate is like flipping them. So 20, 29th actually means fourth best and negative 0.54 EP per rush. That's the fourth best uh, measure against QB designed runs of any defense in the league this year. So Eagles defense has done a good job containing the quarterback and because they play a lot of zone i think that contributes to uh, you know getting a lot of eyes on the quarterback and they have some very athletic linebackers in kaiser white and tj edwards which allows them to hunt down uh, qbs as they break the pocket mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point about maybe some of the numbers being skewed from long runs and and everything but that i guess that is like kind of what the giants have to lean into because like at the end of the day just from like a pure passing perspective these receivers like hodgins is is okay and had a great game last week but these receivers aren't going to separate against against the eagles secondary so mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 you're gonna have to do a lot of saquon barkley and, and daniel jones rushing in this game so we'll we'll see how the the giants coaching staff approaches this and you know there's there's like a kind of a, a some divide between what the advanced metrics say about about the Giants like they have had a pretty efficient offense um that that does rank top 10 but their defense hasn't been good so that's why like I said at, at the top of the the show that like they're probably the only team that you could argue doesn't deserve to be in the divisional round but if they if they were to keep this close I think they would gain a lot of respect in a lot of people's eyes and including both of ours yeah I, I personally i don't think it's going to be that close i think i think it's going to be a big eagles win but you never know it's the playoffs right like we've seen we saw skylar thompson give a scare to the buff to the buffalo bills last week and it could have had a chance to win um just the last point about this game um this was something i was looking at right before we recorded so the giants have the second worst perfectly blocked perfectly blocked pass rate against stunts uh in the entire league so they struggle a lot when blocking stunts they face stunts at a slightly below average clip relative to other offenses in the league but you know i don't think like i know i don't know why i'm bringing this up because the eagles stunt at the lowest rate of any team in the league like jonathan gannon 
we, we've talked about how his scheme is like kind of just executing and not really like creating opportunities for his players. Eagles this year have only stunted on 13.9% of their play. So it's not like the Eagles are like well suited to take advantage of that. But, you know, if, if there was anyone who could potentially pass on a word that the Giants do struggle uh, against stunts to the Eagles head coaches at, or to the coaches in general, maybe uh, there's some people within the Eagles that would be listening to this that could pass that along. But I think the um, I do think the stunts angle could be helpful for the Eagles if they choose to do so. I just it, it, it probably is kind of tough running stunts with Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis because it is going to take a while for them to get around and, you know, hit the tackle. So maybe maybe that's a bad point to bring up. But I, that was just something I looked at that I thought I should that was worth mentioning. Let's move on to the Sunday games. So Bengals, Bills, Bills are favored by five and a half right <laughs> now. I know, I know, we have some thoughts on that. So let's let let's have you kick us off with like your overarching thoughts on the game, and then we can get into individual matchups. Joe Burrow has four playoff wins, and Josh Allen is three. That's <laughs> that's analytics right there, but. Like, okay, just in, like, I don't understand why there's a lot of love for the Bills, right? Like, they're not getting anyone significant back from injury. Micah Hyde isn't coming back for this game. I know that Jonah Williams is a big loss, and going from him to Jackson Carmen's like a huge step down. But we've seen this Bengals team take a bad offensive line and still be a relatively productive offense. And the thing I've preached for two years now, you can get by with a bad offensive line if you have an explosive receiving room. And that's what the Bengals have. Now, in general, the Bengals receiving room hasn't been able to generate a lot of explosives through the air because teams have put a cap on the Bengals offense, playing a lot more too high, a lot more uh, split safety shells. But I, I don't think that matters because, you know, Chase and Higgins can create a lot of uh explosives via yak you talked about it in our on our wednesday show like you're not going to bring chase jamar chase down with the first tackler right mm-hmm. and so i i don't understand why there's all this love for the bills as if they're going to slow down the Bengals' offense when clearly their their defense has not been as good without von miller tradavis white is not playing at the level he once was and the Bengals on the outside at receiver and at tight end have a matchup advantage against this Bills secondary, which I think, in my opinion, is just it's overrated. Like they were getting toasted by the Dolphins last week. It's just Skylar Thompson, you know, underthrows a lot of balls and and Waddle and Hill drop three of them. So again, I, I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't know if you have anything that you wanted to add that would make the Bills seem better here, but I'm I'm at a loss for why this line has been moving towards the Bills. It's something I've been trying to figure out throughout the week as well. And I think that the angle that at least the betting markets or the the betters that are influencing the line are approaching it from is that the Bengals offensive line might just be this bad at this point in the season. And you would think that because of how bad their offensive line is, if the, if the bills had a really, really good defensive line, like they could completely blow up the game. Like I go back to the Rams Cowboys matchup from week three week four early in the season where rams have the worst offensive line in the league cowboys had the best offensive line in the league at that moment and the rams couldn't get into any of their drop back passing concepts because they were every play was just getting blown up but like the bills since losing von miller have gone from a top five pressure rate to bottom 10 and they still don't want to blitz often because they were doing so well with four pass rushers so when you're when you're the bills and with four rushers, you were getting pressure at the fourth highest rate in the league. And without Von Miller, you're now getting it with the 27th highest rate. Yeah. And that's a 10% decrease. Are you going to start sending five rushes? Because the Bengals offense tears up 
five rushers when it's sent at them because of how good the receivers is and how good Joe Burrow is at his decision-making. And so I don't know if, if like the bills will lean into that trade-off or they'll just stick with the four rushers, but I don't see them getting as much pressure as maybe that they, they should be, or, or if they had like one extra pass rusher there, but maybe that the, the betting markets just think that the Bengals offensive line is that bad going into this game where they're playing like a, basically backup level players across the board. And mm-hmm. that when you have an entire offensive line of weak links there, there's going to be someone that loses a block on basically every play and, and won't allow the, the Bengals to get explosive passing plays or anything. Yeah. I, I think I would have been lower on the Bengals if we saw last year's Joe Burrow, but this year, like we've seen a, a slightly improved Joe Burrow in terms of his decision-making via not, like not taking as many sacks. Um, this will be the most injured or like at least the worst O-line combo he's played behind, I think, all season. He's had really good injury luck along the offensive line. I believe at some point in the regular season, his offensive line had played 95% of the total snaps. And this was like by week 16 or 17. So I, I am curious to see how the chemistry is affected there. Um, and, you know, it's not like the Bills pass rush is, pass rush is bad, but, you know, Greg Rousseau is great. I don't really believe that much in Boogie Basham or AJ Panessa, Shaq Lawson, you know, he's a fine rotational player, but I think if you're the Bills, you do want to take advantage of the tackles. So slot blitzes with Teron Johnson or Jordan Poyer or uh, Dean Marlowe, like you want to be attacking Jackson Carmen as much as possible because you have Jackson Carmen and you have Cordell Volson who's a fourth round rookie. You want to take advantage of the left side of the offensive line. So um, if, you know, I know blitzing the Bengals is tough, but if you want to create pressure, sim blitzes or whatever, mugged looks, you want to be doing it to the left side of the offensive line just because that's where the Bengals are weakest. Mm-hmm. I agree. And and yeah, when we when we move to the other side of the ball, this is kind of feeling like it could be another Lou Anarumo masterpiece, which I'm a little <laughs> surprised that he's not getting more head coaching looks. Like there are a lot of good coordinators getting interviews, but considering what he's done transforming the the Bengals defense uh, and and taking all these like new position players last year and getting them into shape where they're playing well at the end of this year. And then he's had like the best game plans, I think, for elite quarterbacks this season. And we saw that, especially against Kansas City. And when when they play Buffalo here, you know, we only saw a little bit of the game before DeMar Hamlin's injury, but they did hold them to a field goal on on Buffalo's one drive. And that's where it's going to have to be in this game for Lou Anarumo and, and this Bengals defense is they're, they're going to be able to drive on you and they're going to hit on some deep passing plays. But if you can really make things complicated for Josh Allen in the red zone and have a, a, a spy to take away his rushing ability, we could see him throw one of those high expected point interceptions that he sometimes does in, especially in, in moments like this. So, well, I think that Stefan Diggs is really, really good compared to what the Bengals have to offer at corner. Mm-hmm. They, the, the bills should still be able to move the ball. And then, you know, with kind of what Eli Apple and the, the rest of the Bengals like banged up cornerback room will do against playoff Gabriel Davis. I think the, the Bills <laughs> offense should be fine in this game, but Lou Anarumo still has these these magic cards that he can pull in big games like this, and I'm excited to see what how he defends Josh Allen. Is is playoff Gabe Davis just the new playoff Lenny, but at receiver? <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem like it because they're both guys who don't do much during the regular season and have had just a couple <laughs> big big playoff performances. So you you have to throw that in there with with the nickname. And as long as he doesn't get a shirt like playoff Lenny did, before yeah, rush for what was it like? one and a half yards per carry on Monday night. 
Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, I think the other part I want to bring up, like the Bengals defense has been really good against uh, QB like runs. I think this is something you wrote up at one point for PFF, just like in one of your prop pieces, like taking the under on QB rushing yards against the Bengals. Like Hendrickson and Hubbard are like pretty athletic for themselves. And like DJ Reader, BJ Hill, like they have a really good defensive line that can contain Josh Allen. Their linebackers, Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt have been uh, having like career years. So you know, the, typically the Bengals are going to play a lot of zone, so you're going to have a lot of eyes on Allen. I would, I, I do think I, this is going to be up to have to be a big Josh Allen passing game. And you, like the Bengals are, in my opinion, the most opportunistic defense. If we're talking playoff Gabe Davis, I also want to talk about playoff Bengals defense just because mm -hmm. they're going to like, they forced a turnover in five straight games in the second half. So Josh Allen can't have one of his seven big time throw three turnover worthy play rate games because the Bengals will convert on those turnover worthy plays. He has to play a very clean game, take the underneath stuff. That's what is like when the Bengals are going to give that to him, he has to take it to Devin Singletary and James Cook, like, and you know, Isaiah McKenzie, who should be back for this game. So it, it's not all about going for the jugular because the Bengals have the, the guys, you know, deep with Jesse Bates and Von Bell to take that away. It's more about taking what they give you. And because I'm expecting, and, you know, just the data will show the Bengals play a ton of zone. I do think Josh Allen's decision-making will have to be on point. Otherwise, it could be a tough day for them to not move the ball, but it could be a tough day for them just in general, because I think the game will be pretty close by the end of the game. Mm -hmm. And this is a big game for Josh Allen to remind us why most of us, if think that he's the second best quarterback in, in the yeah. league behind Mahomes. Like huge test for him. You were a little bit off last week. Like this, this is a big opportunity. And and I I I obviously think he's capable of doing it. Uh, you know, let, let's talk about another quarterback that's capable of anything. If Josh Allen improves one day, maybe he could play quite like Brock Purdy has been playing <laughs> or the Cowboys 49ers here. So 49ers are favored by four right now as of recording. And you know it's it's uh, we're starting to get to the point where Brock Purdy is getting compared to Dak Prescott and and winning some of the some of like the the comparisons that they have. So like for for anyone who didn't see it, um, there was some NFL Total Access show, and they said that Brock Purdy has better poise, accuracy, and decision making than Dak Prescott, and they gave Dak his arm strength and his mobility. So. Uh, things, you know, while Purdy has done well in the structure of the offense, he still didn't play all that well last week, especially in the first half against the Seahawks. And he still gets the most, uh, you know, open passes in mm -hmm. the league. And an interesting stat that next gen stats put out was average completion probability of the throws. And so the top five this season, Jimmy Garoppolo, 69.3%, Brock Purdy, 69%. Expected average completion percentage. <laughs> and then you have uh, Matthew Stafford, 68.5%. Brady, 68.2%, which I think he engineers yeah. uh, himself mostly. And then Jared Goff, 67.5%, which is engineered by Ben Johnson, right? So we can see that Purdy is going to be next to Jimmy G on almost every stat, which means he's, he's doing about as well as Jimmy G did. But it's been on a low sample size. And what I think is interesting is he hasn't played a defense as tough as Dallas mm -hmm. so far. He's played Dolphins defense, not that good. Bucks defense, okay. Seahawks twice, not that good. Um, Raiders, Cardinals, and Commanders who who don't have great defenses. So this is Purdy's first big test. So we'll we'll see if this kind of stuff will will get into to play here. But I'm I'm very curious to see kind of how much of it is still Shanahan um, propping propping him up versus like Purdy getting tested against a defense like the Cowboys.
Yeah, and for the most part, I think the Cowboys' defense has regressed a little bit um, since they lost a couple of their starting corners. Now, the thing I think about that's really interesting about the Cowboys, in the past couple of weeks, they've started to play J. Ron Curse in the slot, and they've used him as a big nickel corner, I think. So they just substitute him for the slot corner. He had 28 snaps in the slot uh, in the wildcard game, 15 snaps in the slot in Week 18, 30 snaps in the slot in Week 16. So... They're going to use him in these base packages as the third linebackers because they hate playing three linebackers. It's Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, whoever their sec- second linebacker is. I don't know off the top of my head. And then it's Curse as the big mm-hmm. or like the small like like the small linebacker in this sense. Now the thing about the Niners, they love to get teams in base packages, right? They love to get teams in three linebackers because three linebackers against play action is going to suck. Now. The thing with the Niners is when they go into their base look, so either they go into 21 personnel or line up in 12 personnel, you're not, you don't know where everyone's going to line up because Kyle Juszczyk can line up as the wide back. They could put Debo Samuel at fullback. They could put George Kittle at running back and have Christian McCaffrey line up as the inline tight end. That's why the Niners are so tough to guard because even if they come out in 21 personnel, the way they line up in their formations won't like it, it's going to, it's going to be so tough to like figure out what they're doing. Just in the Seahawks game, we saw we saw them line up in I formation with Debo Samuel at running back, Christian McCaffrey at receiver, and they ran an RPO slant. To, like it wasn't even an RPO; it was a one step drop back with McCaffrey running a, a slant that he took like for eleven yards. Right, so I I don't think that Jaron Curse like playing in, it's like a really intricate data point but i don't like i think jaron curse being used in the slot is going to be a huge mismatch for the cowboys especially when the niners go into some of their heavier packages because they are going to take advantage of him in the slot because he as a safety he's not going to be able to cover guys like Debo samuel or brandon Ayuk, who have both been having great um games with brock Purdy at quarterback so I, i'm curious to see what the, the cowboys do you know we know they're one of the most aggressive teams in the league but a team like a uh, kyle shanahan led team you know, eats up these aggressive aggressive teams. And I think that could be the case um, when they play this Sunday. And I think Dan Quinn is really malleable with his defense. It's it's always changing based on the opponent. And he does a better job of that than anyone. So I don't think they'll be as aggressive as we've seen them uh in past weeks when they when these two teams play on Sunday. And you know, from from Michael Parsons' perspective, I think he's gonna line up on the right side of the offensive line most of the game because you don't want to waste him against Trent Williams. So Mike McGlinchey's gonna be in for for a tough battle there, but Purdy like has has done well with media intermediate and deep ball throwing uh throughout his his uh games here with San Francisco because he's buying himself time where Jimmy G didn't do that as much where it was mm. more of those three five step dropbacks first read second read and then into the dirt if not and like Purdy will kind of buy himself time and make time for himself the problem with doing that is when you're going up against Parsons and you give him three and a half four seconds to win a pass rushing snap it could be detrimental to Purdy. And when he's not pressured, that's great. It's really good to, to hold on to the ball when, when there's no pressure. But if Parsons or someone else from the Cowboys defensive line gets into the backfield, that's that's where I could see you know some type of game where Purdy ends up throwing an interception or, or takes a bad yeah. sack, horse fumble. And uh, Leighton Vanderash, I think, is also super crucial to what the the Cowboys have to do. Their their defense is playing better now that he's back into the lineup. And it's kind of crazy to think that they didn't re-sign him and and he was available and they picked him up. And now he's like one of the integral parts of of their defense going into this this playoff game here. And 
He's going to have to have a huge day defending everything on, in the middle of the field, whoever comes out of the backfield or whoever's running those crossers, those deep crossers that uh, the Seahawks, the, they did so well against the Seahawks with. And mm-hmm. so for him and, and Parsons, like, I think those are the, probably the two biggest guys at, at each level in, in this game. Yeah. And the other part about the Cowboys defense, they stunt at the highest rate of, of any team in the league. So they stunt on pass plays on 43.5% of their plays. The Niners, weirdly enough, are in second at 34%. Um, the the Niners uh, uh, pass blocking unit ranks fifth in perfectly blocked pass pass rate on stunt stunted plays. Um, and the Cowboys are a little bit below average. So, you know, I, like I said, the Cowboys are going to be very aggressive on defense, a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzes, but I do think that the Niners are well equipped to kind of handle that. And I do think they'll, they'll be able to roll offensively, especially being at home and Cowboys kind of playing on two days of less rest, but moving on to Cowboys offense versus the 49ers defense. So the big thing with this matchup is you talked about it in our preview, I believe last week how the Cowboys offense is better throwing the ball over the middle of the field, right? I think it was like 0.27 EPA versus like 0.1 something throwing outside the sticks with Dak at quarterback. But the 49ers defense, they are very, very good at uh, defending the middle of the field when teams throw behind the line of scrimmage or short, but, uh, one to nine yards, because that's where Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw live. But when teams throw in the intermediate and deep part of the field, that's where the 49ers really struggle. You know, when teams are thrown deep on them, over the middle of the field, they've allowed a 0.6 EPA per play. And when teams throw on in the intermediate range, which is 10 to 19 yards, they've allowed a 0.7 EPA per play and a 58% success rate. So Hufunga and Tayshawn Gibson, like I still don't know why uh, Hufunga was a first team all pro this year. Um, but like that's the area where I think Dak has to attack. And we saw a huge Dalton Schultz game um, against the Bucks. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to have a big game this week because the Niners are one of the best defenses against tight ends in the NFL. But if, you know, if there's anyone to have a big game, it's going to have to be him who takes advantage of that middle of the field intermediate range better than, you know, almost any other player in the Cowboys roster. Mm -hmm. I agree. And yeah, I think Schultz could play a huge factor in this defense, but what what worries me if, if I was a, a Cowboys fan is, when you kind of have an offensive line that switched as many times and gotten into as many combinations as they have this year, you do not want to see the 49ers defensive line in in this game. And that's like why I think like it's going to be hard to get to those deep and intermediate concepts as efficient as they would be for the Cowboys offense against the 49ers defense. It's going to have to be a, a quicker passing game from Dak Prescott. So maybe they can get into some CD lamb plays and, uh, Tony Pollard can kind of stretch out the defensive line and, and the linebackers. But when, when you have just players at, at almost every level there, like, like the 49ers do, it's, it's difficult, but we, we have seen their back three, four players like, uh, Ward didn't have a great game against Seattle. Hufanga is an up and down player that, that relies on, on turnovers. And so maybe the Cowboys can, can get into the, some of that stuff, but I think that their offensive line is is going to have a, a tough time doing that. And we saw a decent amount of the seven offensive linemen stuff where where they, they put two extra offensive linemen in the backfield or they put a six tackle out there or they, they bring in a blocking tight end. And like that's ways to get around it. But losing one of your receiving options because of that is, is going to be a tough trade off for them in this game. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. And um, 
Yeah, I'm really curious to see what McCarthy cooked up because I do I do think he had a really productive or a really good game him and Kellen Moore against the Bucks, forcing a lot of broken coverages. And I, I do think the Niners are a much better defense than them. So it it will be a, a fun one to watch. I agree. And uh yeah, we can we can quickly touch on some some head coaching uh, or or some coordinator switches. So basically half the league right now needs a new offensive coordinator. Uh, the the Buccaneers uh, let go of Byron Leftwich on and uh, today, and I, I know you have some some interesting thoughts on on this like firing and, and kind of where the Bucks go from here. Yeah, so the Bucks like it, I think in general like the Bucks offense was pretty good with Brady and Leftwich up until Bruce Arians uh, retired. So it's tough to really like assign blame because they were like really good for two years they were pretty good with Jameis um you know I know points per game isn't like the greatest measure but they were ranking like top five in points per game with Jameis and Leftwich I know EPA is a little bit skewed because Jameis threw a lot of in- interceptions but I think this year was a really bad year for him and it's, it's not like the the Bucks were void of talent I mean they had Godwin Evans Russell Gage Julio like all of them stayed healthy for most of the year their offensive line was relatively healthy outside of a few games that Tristan Wirfs missed like they had time to account for the uh, Ryan Jensen injury so it's it's also tough because the Bucks offense was much more efficient running no huddle than they were when they huddled up when you know running no huddle is I, I think something we could agree we'd attribute to Brady and when they huddled up that's more of a Leftwich stat right so I I know a lot of the film guys really wanted Leftwich to be in Jacksonville so he could coach with Lawrence. But at this point, I mean, he's de- he shouldn't really be getting head coaching jobs after what just transpired in Tampa Bay. I don't think he's bad enough to not get a court offensive coordinator role. But I think this will leave a, a pretty sour taste in people's mouth. And, you know, I just think a lot of the stats will point to the Bucks offense just not being that good this year. Uh, and, t- and especially the play calling uh, from that from that perspective. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting discussion or, or food for thought when you have someone like Byron Leftwich or Frank Reich who had three or four good, 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 good seasons as play callers and then the one bad season. This year, it's a, it's a matter of how much do you want to wait those previous seasons or are you worried that they've been figured out? And I don't think Reich or, or Leftwich have been figured out. I think sometimes you kind of need this experience to generate new ideas and and new scenery is, is kind of play, at play here. And, you know, without Bruce Arians there, I don't know if anyone necessarily realized how big of a drop off it was going to be for that Bucks offense this year. And Brady maybe got more control, but that's just speculation at the end of the day. Uh, another, you know, mutually parting ways or, or firing or whatever terminology they ended up using here was Greg Roman. And I think we could get like some kind of symbiotic like relationship between NFL and, and college here because mm-hmm. Greg Roman would be a tremendous play caller at the college level, given that you don't need pass like a, a super high end passing game to win eight, nine games in, in college football. And like, I think that if he like he was being looked at for the Stanford job, but ended up not getting it. But like some type of college football program should be looking at Greg Roman and, and offering to throw him a pretty hefty bag as their offensive coordinator or potentially head coach. Uh, because like if, if Greg Roman, he probably won't get another offensive coordinator job right now. If he were to go do that for a year in college, design a really cool run game with, with mm-hmm. all the that they have and then jump back in the NFL, that would be cool. And it kind of goes the other way where these teams that have offensive coordinator openings, I, I believe there's there's nine or, or 10 of them right now, should be looking heavily at 
the college football level and and finding teams with with innovative offenses and and really cool offenses. And I think that starts with uh, Todd Munkin at, at Georgia, who who's done done a really good job. Um, and and there's some other other schools who have also had really cool play callers. Um, Lincoln Riley's brother, I can't can't remember his name right now. There's a cool Twitter thread about about stuff he's done. And so like like maybe like go go like kind of for for those hires because you don't want to recycle and and do what like the Chargers did for example where Joe Lombardi wasn't good for two years in Detroit and they, and they kind of just see saw if he was going to be good again you want to get some fresh ideas in there because I think that would be really cool to bring in some some college concepts at the NFL level. Yeah, I don't think I needed the reminder about Lombardi, but um, definitely, definitely agree with everything you said. And I, you know, especially in, in college where the run game matters more than it does in in the NFL, I think a Greg Roman would be a fantastic hire for any uh, program that wants to get there. Yeah, um, sure. And then just last one, we could talk about Ed Donatello, who got fired uh, from the from the Vikings. So I think you know the Vikings talent level. I know they have a lot of big names, Harrison Smith, Eric Hendricks, Daniel Hunter, Zadarius Smith. A lot of them are aging. They're on their second contract. So I, I do think they kind of underperformed relative to, you know, the talent level that they have on the roster. But this was like a really bad defense. And like to get exposed by the Giants like that in the playoffs at home, like I, I you know, that kind of I'm not going to say he deserves to be fired because there's obviously other factors, but it's a tough look for him. And I do hope he bounces back on his feet. But, um, you know, do you think he should, you know, he'll get another defensive coordinator job or hop back into like a, a court, like a secondary coach role, which is what he was with uh, Vic Fangio? I think he would probably have to hop back into that secondary role uh before he can get another defensive coordinator job but if Vic Fangio does end up as a defensive coordinator somewhere um whether it's replacing D'Amico Ryans in, in San Francisco or uh or joining Sean Payton wherever he ends up going I, I hope like Ed Donatel can can up there because I think like directionally correct he or he was directionally correct with some of the stuff he was doing it just kind of didn't work with the Vikings personnel that they had and 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 like what what they needed out of their defense this year and I think mm -hmm. like going back to Vangio Vangio and kind of studying like from one of the best defensive minds in all of football could really help with that yeah no I uh I totally agree um, yeah, so I think I think that's gonna wrap it up for us today. Went through that was a pretty extensive kind of breakdown of all four games. I hope people were get able to get some insights out of it. Uh, best of luck to anyone whose teams are playing on divisional round weekend. I thought you know I would have been able to join you, but um, unfortunately it's not the case. But uh, you know, really want to thank all our listeners for listening. I think we should do some type of Twitter spaces sometime in the future, maybe for the conference championships, since it'll be two games and we can really really go in depth. With some of those breakdowns um, on Twitter spaces. So stay on the lookout for that. That would probably be a Friday thing, like next Friday. But again, really want to thank everyone for listening. And until next time, I'm going to take the points.